Welcome to Hot Topics in Kidney Health, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation. Each episode, we highlight the latest in kidney research, bring you up-to-date news in kidney care, dispel myths, and answer your kidney health questions. Make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people with kidney disease discover us. We really appreciate it. You may have heard the term mindfulness before, but what does it mean? What are the benefits and how can you integrate mindfulness into your life? On today's episode, Gary Pettengola, a master's prepared social worker certified to teach mindfulness-based stress reduction, explains all of this and more. So hello everyone, my name is Marlena. I use they, them pronouns. I'm the digital content development manager here at NKF and I am super excited about today's topic. So to get started, Gary, would you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background, how long you've been working with people on dialysis and what the coping strategy is that we're talking about today. Hi everyone and thank you to Kidney Foundation for this wonderful opportunity to talk about something that I'm very passionate about, and that's the topic of mindfulness. I come from a background having worked at um, our regional hospital uh, here in Sudbury, Ontario, Canada, in the dialysis program for 13 years, and I provided service to people with end-stage renal disease who were on dialysis, dialysis at home, hemodialysis, transplanted patients as well. Probably the most rewarding work that I've ever had. Following that, I worked with people that have chronic uh, illness. Uh, I worked in the diabetes uh, care program uh, through the regional hospital as well. And we know that a lot of people that have CKD uh, also have diabetes uh, as, as a precursor sometimes as well. Following that, I started to expand my passion, which is mindfulness meditation to the community and the community at large uh, across Canada into the United States. Uh, Certainly the Kidney Foundation has been supportive to my work. Lots of great experience and some wonderful, wonderful stories and experiences uh, with my frontline practice as a um, renal uh, nephrology social worker. Oh, that's so wonderful. That sounds like an amazing career. So mindfulness is definitely one of those buzzwords, but I'm wondering if you could kind of tell me what that means and why do you recommend that people on dialysis or who are living with kidney disease or any other chronic illness do mindfulness? So mindfulness is getting a lot of hype and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited about that. I started my mindfulness journey probably about 2004, 2005. Uh, At that time, if you had mentioned the word mindfulness, a lot of people would have looked at you and never heard of that term before. But now it is really, really uh, just snowballed. It's gone from a couple studies a year back in the early 2000s to um, hundreds of studies now uh, a year. And the studies are more well-defined, more accurate, more um, uh, scientific-based. You know, when people mention the term mindfulness, it's funny because when we do, we teach the mindfulness-based stress reduction program and people will say, you know, Gary, I want to take your course, but I can never empty my mind. Well, mindfulness is not about emptying your mind. And I always say, if if your mind's empty, that's really not a good sign. (laughs) We're always thinking. And in fact, we often refer to our mind as kind of a monkey mind, uh, always going from Uh, topic to topic, thought to thought. Uh, And a lot of the thoughts are distorted thoughts. 
Uh, so that's a key thing that we need to remember. Um, and mindfulness is in a passing fad. It's been around for thousands of years, but it really has gained a lot of popularity, as I said, and a lot of science now uh, depicting its efficacy as well. You know, I don't think, Marlena, you're old enough to remember the Beatles, but uh, I am. And, you know, when the Beatles were popular, they were sitting around in tie-dye T-shirts with their latest crisscross, and they were meditating. Does not uh, necessitate that you have to adapt that kind of persona. And mindfulness isn't about fixing or changing or altering or making better. It's not an escape. Uh, it's, in fact, an invitation to be with what's there. And it takes a lot of bravery and a lot of courage. And sometimes we don't want to be with what's there. Mindfulness, uh, as we define it, uh, and uh, it would be according to John Kabat-Zinn's definition, who's the biggest proponent of mindfulness in Western society, is that mindfulness is the awareness that arises when we pay attention to the present moment without judgment. Again, I don't know if you've had it uh, happen, but I have had many people say to me, you know, live, live in the moment, Gary, you know, and uh, don't worry about tomorrow. As human beings, we don't do that. Uh, our animal friends do that. They deal with trauma and stress as it erupts and then it's done. Human beings, though, uh, distort reality, have misconceptions and preoccupations with things that may never materialize. And we live in a lot of fear. And uh, we are often in that fight, flight, or freeze uh, situation. And, and chronic stress over a long time will take a toll on us. When we talk about uh, you know, mindfulness, like I said, it's an invitation to be with the world with full luminosity using all of your senses. Many of you probably have been mindful um, from time to time. You know, if you're watching a sunset with a loved one, you're most likely fully present in the moment. Bathing your baby or a child or grandchild, you are probably fully present in the moment. You're feeling the sensation of the soul. You're looking at the baby, the smile on the baby's face. You're feeling the temperature of the water. You're smelling the suds. That's full luminosity using all of your senses. If you've been at a birth of a baby or at the bedside of someone that's passing, Again, you're fully present. So mindfulness is really an invitation to be with what you're doing when you're doing it, uh, with full presence using all of your senses. So why is that important? Well, we live, as I said, um, not in the moment. In fact, a study by Killingsworth uh, said that we are not present 47% of the time. And it's funny because when we teach mindfulness and we ask our Participants, you know, how, how often do you think we're not in the present moment? Often they'll say, with COVID having come and hopefully gone, you know, 80% of the time, 90% of the time. So it's really going to be interesting to see whether that number shoots up with follow-up studies. But when you think about it, 50% of the time we're not present. Uh, so we're really missing out on what's real. We often try to cling to the past, you know, the good old days when I felt better. Uh, when my body hadn't let me down, uh, when I was younger, uh, when I had that good job, when I had you know that beautiful family growing up, or we are also striving for the future, we often cling to or we push away. And when we're clinging to or pushing away, it causes us to suffer. So dialysis 
persons, in my opinion, have a lot of suffering. That was one of the first things that I recognized when I walked into the nephrology dialysis program at the hospital. Kabat-Zinn says that, in his opinion, hospitals, and that's where our dialysis center is uh, in our community, are what they refer to as magnets of suffering. And when I walked into the dialysis program, I remember I was so taken aback by the amount of dead time and, uh, and people that were just existing. And I wanted to make a, a difference to that. And people were not only existing, but they were living in fear. My colleague and I started to do a little bit of what we refer to as needle desensitization, and which really uh, is a mindfulness practice. And Fleet Mall, uh, a big proponent of mindfulness in the United States with his work in corrections, has a beautiful meditation that he calls calm, resourced, and connected. And so when we're teaching needle desensitization, which is fear of needles, to persons so that they uh, can withstand that and not have suffering, uh, it's important that they realize, number one, I'm safe. Two, I'm resourced. I've got everything that I need to have this, uh, you know, to go through this. And number three, I'm connected. I'm not alone. We started to teach that. I started to introduce mindfulness concepts on the dialysis unit. I remember... Uh, one day getting a call from our primary nephrology physician. And he called me to the telephone and he said, Gary, I want you to come now to the bedside of a patient and uh, I want you to do some mindfulness meditation. I grabbed my stuff and ran to the bedside. We pulled the curtain. This was a middle-aged man who was scared. He had to undergo what, something that they call femoral access, which is in the groin, uh, because he had complications to his arm. I, I was scared. He was scared. The physician was also uh, in a lot of distress because he didn't want there to be suffering for the patient. But I, I, I held the man's hand and I uh, engaged in a mindfulness meditation script called the body scan meditation, which is a, a sequential examination of the body step by step. Not only did it go beautifully, he was smiling. He did not suffer. And he told everybody about this great practice that was really beneficial to him. And before you knew it, I was teaching people on dialysis uh, meditation, mindfulness meditation, to help them with self-compassion, to help them to go through change with more resilience, because we know that it, it's a tough haul. You know, and there's constant struggling and constant change and constant uncertainty and constant waiting and adaptations and, and doing without a lot of grieving. And so uh, when you add all that up, um, mindfulness seemed like the perfect tool. It helps you to be more compassionate to self. Uh, it helps you to, to not push away or try to hang on to, to be with what's happening when it's happening. Uh, and when you do that, it takes the power of what you're going through away. There was a, um, a movie and a book uh, called The Life of Pi, one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Love it. I love that one. And by Yann Martel. And the cover of that book shows um, a tiger in a boat for a little boy. And the story basically unfolds that the, uh, the little boy has to leave India with his family 
and a bunch of animals that they have a family run zoo and head for America. The ship sinks and he ends up on a lifeboat and underneath the tarp on the other end of the lifeboat, he discovers that there's a tagger and the tagger will either eat him up or be his, his savior. And in fact, uh, he talks about how he had to befriend this tagger. And really, when you think about it, people that are experiencing any health challenges and specifically dialysis, uh, the analogy is, is similar, that we are trying to embrace the tagger. When you embrace the tagger, it takes away its, uh, its power and there's less suffering. Uh, so, you know, a couple good reasons. The other thing that we know is that people who, um, who are on dialysis also have diminished quality of life sometimes. And I remember the stories. I remember uh, their faces and their eyes and when they would cry and say, I hate this. I can't eat tomatoes from my grandmother's garden I've been eating for the last 20 years. I want to be a provider, but I can't work. I feel drained and tired. You know, mindfulness uh, be really helpful just as far as those narrations. We also know there's elevated depression and anxiety, not only with persons with dialysis, but I mean, let's face it, the last three years have been challenging. And so there's elevated depression and anxiety throughout the world. But certainly there are higher depression and anxiety levels often with people with chronic illness and specifically with, with dialysis. Studies are demonstrating that the practice of mindfulness meditation can be equally as effective or more effective than some of the anti-anxiety medications, one specifically called Lexapro. The gold standard for depression has been something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a wonderful way of helping people with depression. Uh, however, uh, recent studies have demonstrated that mindfulness meditation actually uh, is better for people that have uh, depression, and especially people that have depressive relapse. Helpful with your systolic blood pressure, helpful for weight reduction, helpful for craving. Again, that's a biggie for persons that have uh, water restrictions or that have to have dietary changes uh, and have that uh, those episodes of craving. Helpful for compliance, but to help, I'd like to say, uh, an invitation to help you be more of a participant in your care uh, that's going to be best for you than compliance. Certainly helpful at recognizing, you know, if I eat this, then it might cause my potassium to go high. If I uh, drink this, then I might have more uh, water in my body than I need to. Uh, so to stop, realize what you're doing when you're doing it, and know that you can make change, that you don't have to go down that uh, rabbit hole that you continually have gone down perhaps. So basically I'm hearing there is, there's no reason not to <laughs> try mindfulness. I think it was a Buddhist monk that says, if you don't have 20 minutes a day to do mindfulness meditation, then you really should be meditating for an hour a day. <laughs> Every fight needs a champion. And for us, it's you. Join us at a kidney walk near you and walk for hope, walk for health, and walk to save and change lives for the better. Families facing kidney disease are relying on all of us, and every step counts. When you walk with us, you're joining thousands of others across the nation to raise awareness and fund innovation in kidney disease research, advocacy, and transplantation. Your walk gets us one step closer to a future without suffering for every person in this fight. 
Sign up today at kidney.org slash kidneywalk dash podcast. That's kidney.org slash kidneywalk dash podcast. Are you looking for inspirational kidney disease stories, kidney-friendly recipes, and CKD dialysis or transplant lifestyle tips? Check out National Kidney Foundation's blog at kidney.org slash blogs for all of that and more. That's kidney.org slash blogs. Yeah, I'll say as someone who has suffered from anxiety and depression their entire life, one of the mindfulness techniques that I have used to kind of calm me is the what can I smell, what can I see, what can I feel exercise. So I'm wondering if you can actually talk a little bit more about how people on dialysis can practice the mindfulness on and off the dialysis machine. There's two kinds of uh, practice. So uh, there's informal practice and then there's formal practice. So informal practice is, again, just paying attention to what you're doing when you're doing it. So it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You know, if you're doing dishes, actually studies have demonstrated that if you're doing it mindfully, uh, that you um, take greater joy in doing what you're doing and you're, you're more fully present. So it could be just uh, touching the ladder or the soap, watching the food dissipate on the plate, feeling the warmth of the temperature. Uh, you can also do mindful eating. Again, recognizing where the food has come from, uh, honoring it uh, with gratitude for the long haul drivers, the farmers that planted it, you know, eating, um, you know, 10 uh, whatever at one time, but, you know, taking one bite and really savoring that and tasting it, you know, mindfully bathing and other things you can do. Those are informal or even a simple walk in the forest. And then there's the formal practices. Some of them are uh, uh, things like the body scan meditation which is kind of going down your body step by step and just noticing what's there without trying to change it or alter it. So you're not going to your hands and tightening them and releasing. You're simply noticing, is there a sensation in my hand? Can I feel any pulsation, any vibrations? Is it warm? Is it cold? Is it itchy? Uh, and then going to your wrist, going to your forearm, going to your elbow and so forth. You can do that on the dialysis machine. You can also do what we refer to as something called a STOP practice. And STOP is an acronym that basically means STOP, uh, S-STOP, uh, uh, T, uh, take a breath or turn to the breath, O, observe, using all of your senses, and then P, proceed uh, with wisdom. And we say proceed with wisdom because often we are uh, reactive more reactive than responsive. So mindfulness helps us not to get stuck in those knee-jerk reactions where we say something or do something and then we regret it. And that could be in the dialysis unit. It could be with a noisy person that's next to you that won't stop talking. It could be with that healthcare provider that looked at you the wrong way and seems a bit grumpy and you just want to let them have it. Mindfulness helps us to stop, use all of our senses, take a breath, Observe and observe what's happening, what's really happening, not what we perceive as happening. And then to uh, proceed, and I say proceed with wisdom in a responsive way rather than a reactive way. When we respond uh, in a reactive, knee-jerk way, which is often our default way of reacting to things, the way we have become accustomed to, it often gets us into more trouble than it helps. It's not helpful for 
interpersonal uh, relationships in the dialysis unit with our families, our loved ones, our friends, our colleagues can often uh, make things worse. Uh, stop is another thing. A room, uh, and the room could be the dialysis unit. When you're getting off the elevator or opening the door, stopping for a moment, pausing and checking in. What's happening with my thoughts? How am I feeling in this moment? What's happening in my body? Is it tension? Uh, do I feel relief? Am I happy? Am I sad? Do I feel like crying? Do I feel like laughing? You know, what's happening? And then proceeding uh, into the unit, uh, more alert um, and, and having checked in with self. Those are a couple things that uh, one could do. And then the other thing is just taking five minutes. And I often say five minutes. It doesn't have to be uh, 20 minutes, an hour. Certainly, if you want to do that, that's great. But uh, where you do something we refer to as um, uh, awareness of the breath meditation, where you simply sit down and place your hands gently on your thighs. And then sometimes we say dip the chin, soften your gaze or close your eyes, and then bring your awareness to the breath and noticing this breath and this breath and knowing that the mind may wander and if it does that's perfectly fine that's what minds do you may want to notice where the mind has gone notice it touch it let it be and then bring your awareness back to the breath Sometimes this practice feels like a broken record where your mind drifts off. What I'm having for dinner tonight, the invitation is come back to the breath. I wonder when my dialysis will be over, back to the breath. I wonder if I'll get that crabby healthcare worker today, back to the breath. I wonder if I'll have enough money to pay the rent, back to the breath. And always coming back to the breath. And coming back to the breath is not a failure. In fact, we always say that when you're doing uh, awareness to the breath meditation, it's kind of like a weight and, uh, and just coming back. And that strengthens uh, your ability to, to do mindfulness meditation and to come to, back to the present moment. So those are some things that come to my mind. Yeah, I love those. And I think it's nice because... I feel like a lot of people think of like meditation as you need to empty your mind and feel like failures. And this is kind of saying, no, accept it, let it go, move on to the next breath and kind of going from there. And I imagine the more you practice, the not cleaner your mind is, but like the, you know, the it quiets down. Yeah. Um, first of all, we always say never compare your meditative experiences. So one day you might meditate for five minutes and, and you might feel that it's completely wonderful. And you might feel very much in the moment. However, there might be times when you have that monkey mind uh, or you're worried about something or you're scared or you're angry. And those are more difficult times to, to meditate. So and we always say to you, uh, try to pick a time of the day when you're going to be, be most awake. Because mindfulness is about waking up, waking up to the present moment and to what's real, not, again, to what's distorted. And, you know, so we always say recognizing thoughts are just thoughts. Most of the time, they're not real. Most of the time, they, they never happen. And so a good time of the day to practice meditation might be morning time. 
it may not be a good time to practice meditation when you feel washed out the day before your hemodialysis. Uh, but you are more vulnerable to fall asleep and, you, and you're just surviving. Try to pick a time of the day that's going to be best for you. You know, at home, you may want to carve out a meditative space uh, with a favorite chair, maybe uh, a sunny window beside you. And also um, make sure that you tell your family members or people that you live with that you're uh, going to be meditating during that time. Yeah, these are great tips. I love it. So my next question is, what have the studies said that the benefits are and what impacts have you seen as a practitioner um, with the people that you practice with? The studies are demonstrating that it certainly helps us with three things, a concentration, clarity, and equanimity. So I'll expand. So it helps us to pay attention, uh, to be more in the present moment. It helps us to stop that wondering mind. And it also helps us to be more able to solve problems with more creativity. And studies are demonstrating that, uh, you know, when people engage in a, um, in a mindfulness program, specifically the eight-week program, uh, that those are trait-like, which mean they last for about five years following the program. Uh, mindfulness helps us to be more resilient to stress. So studies are showing that it doesn't take away our stress. Uh, our, you know, we still have stress. Uh, we will always have stress, but it helps us to bounce back from stressful events uh, more together. And I always say that, you know, it's, it, it, it's kind of like um, driving your car down an asphalt highway as opposed to a bumpy country road because life is full of bumps and ups and downs and we can get blown away by them, but uh, we can also coast on the highway. <laughs> a little bit more smoothly when we practice mindfulness meditation. It also helps with inflammation uh, in the body and, uh, and cortisol, things that happen to the body when the body's under tremendous stress, and so it helps to diminish those things. helps us to be more compassionate, and the studies are showing not only for one another, and certainly we need this in, the, in our world today, but um, when we see a lot of suffering, we can get frozen or numb by it. I remember one day feeling sorry for myself. I had to get up early. And, and then I thought, you know what? My friend Joe, who's on dialysis, has to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to get to dialysis for 6 a.m. What am I complaining about? You know, how dare I? Mindfulness uh, can be helpful uh, as far as um, not um, being absorbed with other persons suffering, but recognizing it, being empathetic, but also taking compassionate action and not feeling, guilt, feeling guilty about taking compassion for yourself. Studies demonstrate, as I said, that it's helpful for um, anxiety and depression, and we've talked about that. Helpful for something called neuroplasticity, uh, which is changing of the gray matter of the brain. Certainly, uh, we used to think that the brain was shaped and that would be it, uh, but it, in fact, you can change some of the circuitry of it through the practice of mindfulness meditation. Helpful at something that we refer to as telomeres, which are, I always say, through the end of your chromosomes, kind of like the hard ends of your shoelaces. The more that you meditate, the longer your telomeres on the end of your chromosomes. That basically um, means longer longevity and better health. So lots of things happening. A major study to say it's helpful for a persons with diabetes recently. And really something interesting uh, that may not be applicable entirely to people on dialysis, but in utero uh, study where pregnant women took mindfulness meditation at six months gestation, 
when they delivered babies. And when they ignored the babies, the babies reacted more quickly to that change. And under stress, they also bounced back more quickly. Um, their cortisol levels diminished more. So it was real cool stuff. So we're working with our local uh, healthcare networks here who are supporting mindfulness meditation, even funding some of their patients to attend. So just, it's a huge thing right now. It's remarkable that it feels kind of almost like your brain is actually making all these changes for you. You know, you're not taking a pill, you're not running or doing like anything extra strenuous, which is sitting there and being present can have all these amazing benefits. So I'm actually wondering if you would mind leading us through a brief mindfulness exercise. So uh, you're either like this one or hate it. This is the uh, body scan. And it's a foundational practice that we teach in the eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction program. It's typically a practice that we take, uh, you know, 20 minutes to 40 minutes to do. I'm going to do it in a couple minutes. So it's going to be a quick one. I'm going to ring the gong to begin and to conclude. I'll invite you to close your eyes. Just beginning by bringing your awareness to the sensation of breathing right here in this moment. Notice how it feels for the air to be channeled through your mouth and through your nostrils. Just feeling the inhalation and the exhalation, the ebb and the flow, the breath in and the breath out. And this time, as you take a breath through the mouth and nostrils, allowing it to make its way through the body, settle at the bottom of both of your feet. So you bring your awareness now to the bottom of the feet. You may notice sensations in your feet, numbness, tingling. Comfort or discomfort, cold or warmth, itchiness, just noticing without altering. Just being at the bottom of the feet. And then now inviting you to bring that awareness from the bottom of the feet to the ankles and calves and shins. And then settling for a couple of moments in the area of the knees, perhaps allowing for your awareness to bask into the kneecaps, perhaps giving gratitude for the knees, for their support in your steps and walking and movement. Just noticing, is there anything happening in the knees in this moment? And if there's nothing, that's fine as well. And from the knees moving upward to the thighs and the pelvis, to the lower back, that crevice of the lower back that we sometimes have some discomfort in, just noticing what's there, if anything. 
You might feel the buttocks on your chair supporting you, the weight of the body distributed. And then coming upward to the shoulders and neck, part of our body where we often carry a lot of tension, heaviness. Just noticing what's there, if anything. Coming down to the arms and the hands, fingers, fingertips. To the lungs, expanding, retracting with each and every breath. And just taking a moment to be in the area of the belly, noticing its rise and fall with each and every breath. Then coming to the mouth and jaw, allowing the lips to part and the tongue to relax or rest on the upper palate. So tightness in the jaw or looseness, just noticing. You might feel the air being breathed in the nostrils or sounds entering the ears. And then taking a moment to bask at the back of the eyes. Eventually coming to the top of the head. And now taking just a moment to be with this living, breathing organism that we call the body in its full totality. From the top of the head to the tips of the toes. And our ring the gone to conclude. I can see why you recommend doing this in the morning. This is the end of my work day. And I'm like, oh, I am relaxed. <laughs> but thank you. That was really great. And I hope everyone who was listening had a moment to stop and do their body scan and can hopefully take that skill with them if they need it. So as we close out, I'm just wondering, what can you recommend to people who are interested in trying mindfulness, but they don't know where to start? My suggestion would be to start uh, slowly. And, you know, sometimes people will embark on something and say, you know, I'm going to meditate now for the rest of my life. No, don't do that. Uh, you know, meditate for a week. Try it for a week, for five minutes a day, and see if there's a difference. It could be as simple as sitting in your backyard with your hands on your thighs, going to the breath, noticing sounds, bringing your awareness back to the breath, and not viewing it as a failure. The other thing is not to strive. Don't strive to achieve anything. In fact, people that practice mindfulness do better when they just uh, be with what's there without striving for there to be any great uh, things that will come come out of it. Um, there are apps available, there are, you know, and there are um, uh, Calm is one app, Headspace is another app. Um, and I certainly recommend anything by John Kabat-Zinn uh, on, on YouTube or Mark Williams, both big proponents of mindfulness, uh, big names out there. Uh, another one, 10% Happier, um, uh, with Dan Harris. He does a lot of mindfulness work. Uh, I had a um, mindfulness disc on uh, the NKF uh, website. I'm not sure if it's still there. It's called The Meandering Journey, and uh, it's about 40 minutes of uh, mindfulness meditation. So um, if it's there, that would be great. That would be something else that perhaps could be a resource. Uh, so start slowly. 
Be patient with yourself. Don't strive for great things. Recognize your differences. You know, if you're meditating and you know that Molly's meditating, don't compare yourself to Molly. She, you know, she might be the best meditator in the world, but it doesn't mean that you're a failure taking your time. If you can find uh, the eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction program in your community, it is the most supported and evidence-based program available. It is the program where studies are often uh, compared to. It is uh, science-based. Pick a practitioner that's, that practices. A lot of people hanging shingles out their windows saying they teach mindfulness. Be careful. Um, you know, Make sure that they're credentialed, make sure that they have the uh, expertise, and make sure that they practice and that they're authentic. Uh, those would be some of my suggestions. Those are all amazing tips. Gary, thank you so much for this discussion today. I learned a lot, and I hope everyone listening did too. So thanks again. Thank you, and thank you to the wonderful, wonderful National Kidney Foundation for all of your, your work. Thank you. We end each episode giving a shout out to a kidney patient who's celebrating a major milestone. In August of 2022, Andrew received the life-saving gift of kidney donation. Congratulations on one year kidney strong, Andrew. We are wishing you many more. Thank you for listening. Do you have any questions? Email us directly with your comments and suggestions at nkfpodcasts at kidney.org. We hope you will join us next time. And from all of us at NKF, we wish you good health.